Welcome to the Live Well for Longer podcast, the podcast for people who want to learn the art and science of healthy aging and longevity. Join me, Sarah Little, a wellbeing science specialist and positive psychology practitioner, as I share the psychology and behaviors associated with longevity and quality of life. Let's begin. The word diet is derived from the Greek word dieta, meaning not just food, but a way of life. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing how you can eat for longevity. And of course, as always, this is not just about longevity, but it's also about improving your quality of life. We're going to be discussing the gold standard of diets in the medical community, and we're going to dive into what you can do to eat well today and in the years to come. I will debunk some myths that are surrounding our food choices and leave you with some takeaways to implement the lessons learned in this podcast episode. Hello, I am Sarah and I am your host. I am a positive psychology practitioner and a lover of wellness. Now, the term Mediterranean diet was coined back in 1960 by an American physiologist named Ansel Keys and his wife, Margaret. And they wrote a book, How to Eat Well and Stay Well, The Mediterranean Way. In their book, they identified the eating behaviors of countries such as Greece and Italy, as well as the surrounding geographical areas. And they identified specific ways that these countries eat to stay well and healthy right up until their old age and often avoiding some of the major primary diseases that we have in the Western world. Now, the Mediterranean diet didn't just emerge in the 1960s, but it actually goes back to biblical times. In the recent years that have followed their book, there has been a surge in research on the Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet, and it does it does present itself as the gold standard of diets in the medical community. There is not another diet that is better than the results that they've seen from researching the Mediterranean diet. So this is really important because there's a lot of misconception around these days around what you should eat. There's the there's no meat, there's no fruits, there's all these ideas. And some of these, especially the no meat and the no fruit, can be really misconceiving and really unhealthy and unhelpful. So I would suggest if you are a lover of research like I am and an advocate for wellness and you want to be healthy and you want your family and friends to be healthy, 
then it's really important to look to what the research says versus what public opinion says, because there's a lot of people preaching things that aren't necessarily good and that actually are quite harmful. I have looked into personally some advocates in the wellbeing community, such as the medical medium, and I have found a lot of bad stories from the advice that they've given, some really heartbreaking things. This is your life here. And these people uh, can be harming your health and your life. And it's, it's a deadly consequence. So the Mediterranean diet is a wonderful diet because it has the evidence behind it. If you decide to follow along the Mediterranean diet, you will see an improved in your health and your well-being. But not only that, research has suggested that following the Mediterranean diet reduces rates of coronary heart disease, morbidity, mortality, cancers, and other chronic uh, diseases related to our diet. And a lot of what we put in our mouth influences our health and well-being. So you've heard me talk in the past episodes about how our thoughts and our personality impacts our health. And that is one piece of the puzzle. But a very important piece that I haven't touched on is diet. And we're going to discuss how you can eat well in this episode. So stay with me. Before I started recording this episode, I thought I would research some systematic reviews on the Mediterranean diet. Now, systematic reviews and meta-analyses, they're quite like the gold standard of research in the medical community. So what a systematic review does is that it compiles the studies. So let's say we're looking purely at Mediterranean diet. It compiles all the studies that meet their criteria which have been published on the Mediterranean diet in the academic community. So they're often peer-reviewed journal articles. And it looks at what all of those studies tell us. It presents us with a cohesive story. So you might find a systematic review, let's say, on the Mediterranean diet. And the reviewers have reviewed, let's say, 15 papers. And they've got a total of, let's say, 3,000 participants. And then they're looking at what each of the evidence says for each of those studies and how they relate to each other or don't relate and how they match with the uh, evidence overall, what we know about the topic. So this is very different because a lot of people, and I see this online, a lot of people share studies where it might just be one study on one thing and so that's wonderful and find the findings let's say of a study that has worked with maybe 30 people uh being shared is is wonderful especially if it's positive um however sometimes that can be a little bit misleading because there's often other factors that can be affecting it and so we really need to look at a bigger picture so 30 people is wonderful but it's a small group we really want to get into those Look at the thousands and thousands of people, especially across cultures and demographics. 
So when I started to look at some systematic reviews, just to further enhance my knowledge about the Mediterranean diet, there were a few that came up and that really stood out for me, but nothing really stood out in a way that I felt called to share. There was, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole, I would admit, and I'll share some more of what I found with you <laughs> shortly. I actually went down a rabbit hole looking at olive oil, because as we know, olive oil is a cornerstone of the Mediterranean diet. Now, we're going to dive into the diet, but before we do, I have to say I'm sorry for not doing a episode. Last week, I was in the Gold Coast, and time just flew by. It just got away with me. So thank you for your patience, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So the Mediterranean diet has a its own food pyramid. Do you remember when you were younger, you saw that food pyramid and it had like fruits and veggies at the bottom and then sweets at the top? Well, the Mediterranean diet has its own food pyramid. But at the bottom is really be physically active, enjoy your meals. It's really that quality of life that we spoke about. And it's really encapsulates what that word of diet that we spoke about. It's a way of life. So when you're looking at the Mediterranean diet, you have to strategically see it not as a diet, but as a lifestyle. And I love this. I just love thinking that food is not something that we just eat. It is actually a ritual. It is actually a social connection with another person. It's something more than just food. And this is where the Mediterranean diet gets it so right. So at the bottom of the pyramid, it really is about quality of life. And we've already discussed this. I've shared with you the SOLAR acronym before. We've discussed increasing your quality of life. And if you haven't listened to any of my previous episodes, go back and do that because they are the foundation. And so it's really about enjoying the quality of your life with others and savoring your meals, savoring and enjoying the day. Now, again, we're coming back to that Epicurus approach where it's really about being in the moment and being grateful and appreciating what you do have. So that is at the bottom of the Mediterranean food pyramid. But we move up to the next level and it's rich in fruits and vegetables. Now, you've heard probably online this idea that fruits are not good for you because they have sugar. But this is one of those things where you have to look at what the research says and you also have to look at what your body, what the body says. So does your body agree with fruits or does it not? And I think this really comes back to introspection. And when you slow down and save a meal and you chew thoroughly, and you're really attuned to your body, then you can really tap into, does this feel right for me? So as an example, for the last 20 years, I have been eating coconut oil. Back uh, 20 years ago, I think it's a little bit over 20 years ago now, I studied the body ecology diet with Donna Gates. I was in New Zealand at the time, and I flew to Atlanta where I completed my level one training with her and subsequently in the years to, to follow level two. 
But Donna Gates is very much a forward thinker in the health community. And she was one of the first people to discover this or to be talking about the microbiome. So it was even before the microbiome had a name. She used to call it the, well, what did she call it? The eco, the eco inner system, something like that. I've forgotten. But she used to have this other name for it. So it was really interesting. And I learned a lot from her. And one of the things she advocated for was coconut oil. It's meant to be good for a woman's health in particular. And so all these years, I've been eating coconut oil. And then just recently, I started to check in with myself when I was eating it. I would, you know, fry things in coconut oil. I would rub it on my skin. Coconut oil is in all the skincare products, all the hair care shampoos and conditioners. It's it's often goes by cocoa and then it will have a further long name after it, but it's a cocoa derivative. And so I had taken MCT oil one morning because I decided I wanted to increase my dosage for health reasons. And what happened was my face blew up like a balloon. I couldn't breathe. I had all this swelling and redness and I was in a terrible, terrible state. And I started to realize that it was the coconut oil that was actually causing a lot of my health ailments. When I used one of my creams, I noticed because I often frequently got rashes, I noticed that the rash would come on straight after using one of my creams but I'd never pieced it together. So I think it's important that you piece this together based on how your body responds and not on what other people say you should and should, shouldn't be eating. So fruits and vegetables, whole grains is a key thing. Whole grains is a little bit funny because a lot of people think I shouldn't be eating whole grains. I shouldn't be eating grains full stop. Now I'm gluten free because I have a, a, a intolerance around gluten. So I don't eat anything that has gluten in it. I spoke with a doctor recently and he said often people don't, aren't allergic to the gluten, but the pesticides put on the gluten. But that's debatable. It's, you know, I have had, um, you know, fresh, beautiful sourdough from someone which you know, they only use the most organic of ingredients and I still didn't feel quite right. So I think that's debatable and probably I'd need to research that further. But listen to your body. And the thing with the whole grains and the gluten is that when you get tested, if you decide to get tested to see if you've got an intolerance, you have to realize that gluten sensitivity is a spectrum. You know, on one end, you have been celiac and not tolerating even a crumb of gluten. And then on the other end, you might have a, a small intolerance to it. But to really be tested for gluten sensitivity, you actually, when you, before you have the test, you have to have eaten a lot of gluten beforehand. Otherwise, it's not going to show up on your test that you have a uh, intolerance. So this is really important. There's all these things that you have to look into before you dive into them. So whole grains, yes, I still eat and love rice. 
uh, brown rice, but I would suggest erring on the side of caution for white rice. Now, olive oil, as I've just said uh, earlier, you know, there's a lot of research around olive oil and the man who wants to live forever, uh, Brian Johnson, he has, um, he has olive oil, I think three times a day, a, a tablespoon each time. And he has a team of researchers that systematically systematically review the medical databases to find information. But when I did the research on just briefly, not huge, I didn't dive into doing a huge academic, um, you know, finesse discussion, you know, self-exploration, I guess. I did find that olive oil does decrease the markers of inflammation, um, but it's somewhat debatable about the sizing. So how much you do have a day at one milligram, 50 milligrams. And also then there's other sub factors that we have to think about, such as diet. Like if you take the olive oil out of the Mediterranean diet, how much of the Mediterranean diet already decreases inflammation. But regardless, I do think that based on the research, olive oil is one of those things that we kind of can't go too wrong with. And then we have still, we're still in the bottom, the, the, the things you should be eating. Okay. So we said fruits, vegetables, whole grains, olive oil. Then we're looking at beans and nuts. Now, there's, uh, we could go into each of these so in such depth, but I would say that beans is one of those staple foods that you should be eating two to three times at least a week and don't feel like it's one of those foods you shouldn't be eating. There's Again, there's a lot of misconception around beans and nuts, but Snacking on nuts and making beans one of the primary staples for your meals is is a wonderful, wonderful step. So if that's all you took away from today is adding beans to your diet, I would be, I'm over here cheering you on because adding beans to your diet is one of the best things you can do. So beans and legumes as well. So they also have lots of seeds, herbs, and spices. So these are the things you should base every meal on, okay? So you might have some whole grains such as some rice with a drizzling of olive oil and some vegetables, uh, some legumes or some beans with it, and some seeds and spices on it, right? This is what you should be basing your meals on. I know it does involve a little bit of cooking, but uh, it's your health. What, What, you know... If you think about the time you spend on social media or doing things like sitting in front of front of the TV, like these things feel good, but this is your health. Take the time to to invest in planning, meal prepping, and cooking good foods. You are worthy of it. You deserve it. Okay, so we move further up the scale, the pyramid. And we have fish and seafood. So clearly, obviously, one of the things in the Mediterranean islands and the region is that fish and seafood is a large staple of their diet. This is something that I personally struggle with. I'm not a big fish eater. But they often often they eat fish and seafood at least two times per week. One of the blue zones in Japan is, is based 
like near the sea. So it's based where they often catch a lot of fish and there's a lot of seafood again in that. Uh, and I think this is quite a testament to say, you know, the Mediterranean diet and parts of it are not only in the, found in the Mediterranean, but in the blue zones. So fish and seafood at least twice a week and drinking plenty of water. I must say water is essential to your health. Now we're moving up again still. And so the next item is things such as poultry, chicken, eggs, cheese. Yes, cheese is okay. And yogurt. So we're aiming to have these items in moderate portions daily to weekly. So if you would like a, some cheese today or some egg, don't feel guilty for it. Don't feel guilty for having some yogurt, right, or some cheese. So moderate portions. Speaking of moderate, the next thing we want to have in moderate portions, well, this is debatable, is wine. I say this is debatable because the evidence has shown us that wine, like particularly red wine, is good for you if you're drinking it. And if you're not drinking it, you're still doing good. So so I did this neuroscience uh, uh, certification a couple of years back. And this was one of the things that I was really curious about at the time. Is wine good for you? Like there's all these studies saying drink wine. So you can, if you drink wine already, red wine, continue to drink it. You, you're not doing a disservice to your health so long as it's in moderation. But if you're not drinking wine, don't you don't need to start drinking wine just because you think it's good for you, right? So again, it's one of those things where you have to listen to how you feel. So I can drink wine in moderation and I'm fine with that, but I can't have an excess of it. So I can't have it every single day but I can have it a couple times a week if I want to. Now, finally, we reached the top of the pyramid and we have meats and sweets. So this is the things that you want to have less often. So meats and sweets. I know there's this idea that we should have this red meat at every meal and that, you know, that's one of the other diets that is promoted. And that's, not what I've found from people as well in the blue zones, going back here. So centenarians in the blue zones, they eat meat, but it's very sparingly. It might be a couple times a month or even less than that, but they do eat meat. So for me, I know that I get really low iron quite easily. And so I do try to have a little bit of meat every month. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I do, sometimes I might have a little bit more. But don't make meat your primary meal source, like your primary meat or protein on your plate. And don't, and you don't need to have sweets that much. I think that it's just common sense when we're talking about sugar. It's not something when you think about when we're in the wild and when we're uh, hunter-gatherers, sweets were not in our diet. They were very, very rare. So that is the Mediterranean diet. We've discussed the food pyramid. Now, I want you to take away something from our discussion today and to implement it in your life, whether that be the way that people approach the Mediterranean diet, so approaching it from a really active point of view, savoring our meals, eating with family, 
being active in our life or whether you choose just one item from the food pyramid. Maybe you want to add whole grains or beans or legumes into your daily and weekly diet. Choose one thing and go running with that one thing. If you do too many things, it's going to be overwhelming. So take a step-by-step approach and little by little introduce new things. I'm a big fan for monthly themes and I definitely did discuss this in my last episode. So having a monthly theme. So your, your theme for this month might be drink eight glasses of water every day. And for the next month, you just focus on that. Just focus on drinking eight glasses of water every day for the whole month. Or another theme for your month might be olive oil. And you might focus on having a a drizzle of, of olive oil on your lunch and your dinner every single day. So choose your theme for this month. Choose what you want to add into your life and go running with it. Have fun with it. I think oftentimes we use diet as like this um, really negative, heavy way of approaching food. But as we've learned, diet is something that is a way of life. It should be fun. It should feel good. And it should make us happy and healthy. All right. So thank you for tuning into this week's episode. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe. And I would love it if you could leave me a review. And I will see you in the next episode. As we conclude this Live Well for Longer podcast episode, we sincerely appreciate your presence on this journey. Your support fuels our mission. So remember to subscribe and leave your thoughts. And if you'd like to download a positive aging manifesto with seven traits to age healthy and happy, then visit positiveaginginstitute.com slash manifesto. Until next time, live a connected and committed life.